uh, you know, we leave this building, we're going out in our mission field. And so what I want to talk about today, the first part is the antithesis of the things you and I believe and speak. But sometimes if you really want to learn what you are or what you have, you have to think about the opposite of what you have. How many understand? For instance, 1 Corinthians 13, when the Apostle Paul talked about the love of God, he talked about the antithesis of love, verses 4 through 8. Love is not haughty. Love is not proud. Love doesn't put itself first, right? So, you know, sometimes you do that, and I want to do that to begin with this morning and just talk about the current culture we live in and why we'll end up with why it's so important uh, to make Jesus Lord. How many know the very foundation of your life in God and your Christian faith begins with a firm belief in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ? If you don't believe in the virgin birth, you cannot be saved from your sin. I want to say this, so many people today in our culture think so um, surface about everything, they don't think through on the truths that can keep us free. How many hear what I just said? So I want to talk to you about below the surface what Jesus did to set you free as we conclude. Is that okay? So, um, so important for us to talk about this. I've got a quote uh, from over 80 years ago that I'm going to read in just a minute. Uh, that was really, the God did not mean for it to be prophetic, but it actually fulfilled itself. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, I, I came up with this quote as I was thinking about the antithesis of what we believe today. And here it is. If a culture doesn't believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, if a culture has no consciousness of sin, and if a culture doesn't believe in the punishment for sin after death in hell and then the lake of fire, then that group of people will see little need for a Savior who died for us. Is that our culture right now? I want to break that apart uh, and uh, segment by segment because in that statement, uh, it encapsulates the deep things that we believe as believers and we have to to be a Christian. How many hear what I just said? So let's look at the first part of that. If a culture doesn't believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God, we're living there today. It's obvious. If you don't believe the Bible is inspired, you won't live by its contents, and you will push it aside. Is our culture doing that today? 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration. Everybody say inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. The New International Version of that verse says this, all Scripture is God-breathed, and that's that Greek word theonoustos. It's, it's given by the breath of God. And in Bible school back in the 70s, they taught us so clearly, and we had tests on it, we had to write it verbatim, that the Bible is just as much the Word of God as if God were standing in front of you face-to-face, -face, almost nose-to-nose, nose and you could feel his hot breath on your face that's how much we believe the bible is the word of god let me have a show of hands of how about how many in the congregation do how many believe the bible is the word of god raise your hand i'm looking i'm looking <laughs> put them down well you see saying that you know what it behooves you to do what it says to put its contents into practice for if god has spoken to us about life if you want to be successful in life, uh, success is obeying God in all things, and that is obeying His Word. Then last, the second pen, uh, Peter 1, I love this. Above all, Peter said, you must understand, no prophecy of Scripture, talking about the Bible, 
uh, came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy, the Bible, never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were, and I like the way New International Version phrases it, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Greek language there infers swept along by the Holy Spirit. The idea is, is they were writing and, and they, they didn't have an idea of what they were about to say. Something beyond them carried them. Something beyond them caused them to write what they write. How many hear what I'm saying? That's called inspiration and we believe that the Bible is inspired. Because we believe the Bible is inspired, uh, it, uh, it, it challenges and changes what we think, how we live, our life because the culture outside of the doors don't believe that you know what they could care less that the bible is the word of god and it's obvious with the laws being passed that um the united states of america is in a downward spiral par none how many hear me and y'all it's our job to lift it back up um, the bible provides a moral compass for a group of people psalm 119 105 your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In the darkness, you know, I've got some fairly strong LED lights when I walk. I walk every day and I've got some fairly strong little small lights that are powerful. And you know, if I get to a dark place, I just cut the light on if I want to see where I'm going. And that's what the Bible does for you, yes or no? So if the culture doesn't believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, if a culture has, what's this? No consciousness of sin. Did you know outside these doors there's very little consciousness of sin? Unless they see someone who knows God is walking with God and carries the obvious presence of God on their visage? Yes or no? But the Bible reveals that we all are under sin. In fact, Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned. Say it, everyone. Say that includes me. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard uh king james says the glory of god i like new living translation it makes it so clear we don't live up to god's standards for living we can't live holy lives apart from him because we're a fallen race right matthew 15 19 jesus put it fairly bluntly when he talked to the religious people of his day he said for, for from the heart come evil thoughts murder adultery all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. So, you know, when we look around today and see all the awful things day by day by day that we see and hear, where does all that stuff originate? The fallen heart of man. It's not legislation. It's not laws. It's going to change our nation, nor change our culture, nor change the world. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus that changes the heart, and that changes the culture. And if you take the gospel of Jesus out of a culture, that culture will go down to the wickedness of the human heart so if you've lived as long as i've lived you live in a, na a nation that has undergone a fundamental change we took prayer out of school in 19 what 62 63 then we eventually took the bible out of our out of our classroom settings and in our civil civic life we have taken the bible away and look where we are today we are having problems par none we're a shell of what we were because we don't believe the Bible's the word of God and because we don't realize that the heart of the problem is our wicked, sinful heart. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is the most deceitful of all things. Wow. And desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? You know, I've got eight grandchildren. 
I played with a couple of them yesterday until I didn't have any breath left in my lungs <laughs> at my house. But I look at them, you know, I got grandchildren ages two all the way to seven, eight of them. And I love all of them to pieces. But you know what I know? They're like me. They have a wicked heart. And they're self-centered. And they're conniving. And they're selfish. And without God, they're reprobate. That's a terrible thing to say about a child, isn't it? Particularly your grandchildren. But you know, it's absolutely true. Without discipline, without love, without guidance, and without the gospel, one day they'll end up in hell. That's why you should pray for your children, your grandchildren, that they'll make Jesus Lord and have that heart change so that wicked heart can change, right? Today in our, in our systems of learning, uh, people are taught that we are all just simply good. There's an emphasis on self in public learning. How many hear me? Let a child be what it wants to be. Don't correct it. Let it go the path that it wants to be. If it's a boy and says it's a girl, let it be a girl. If it's a, if it's a girl and she says she's a boy, let her be a boy. Or if she's not sure, one day she's a boy, the next day she's a girl, or she has pronouns, that is asinine stupidity. And if you believe that, you are an asinine stupid person full of the devil in need of a Savior with an absolutely reprobate heart. And Jesus said of you, if you teach those things to children at school, it would be better for somebody to hang a big rock around your neck and throw you in the ocean than to upset these little ones in their lifestyle uh, from knowing Jesus and being what God created them to be. Yes or no? Well, that was all free. That's not in my notes either. <laughs> There's a belief today that we are all intrinsically good now listen, we're going to open up this child care school and, you know, we've got all this, uh, these courses that my staff have to take at the tech and they've got tests and all that. And they've told me, you know, in, in this curriculum, they tell you that, that, that children are good and all they need is a little flicker and flame. I'm using my words, not the curriculum's words, but all they need is a little bit of education and they'll, they'll, they'll flame up into something really grand. That's not what the Bible teaches. Yes or no? No, the Bible teaches that we're as sinners in need of a Savior. I don't know about you. I know this sounds odd, but did you know every day of my life I think about where I was? Now, I don't live in the past because that's what the Lord spoke through me this morning. I don't live in the past, but I don't forget where I came from. All my friends that I grown up with, grew up with, I can't think of one. I have one that's still alive, but he didn't go down the paths that, the rest of us, his brothers and such, went, went down. But the rest of them are dead. I'm not sure that any of them made Jesus Lord. I'm not sure my friends. See, that was me. I was walking and tooling through life without God. And see, you need never forget where you came from. If you don't forget where you came from, you're always grateful with what you have and where you are right now. Lack of gratefulness is lack of remembering where you were and what Jesus did to set you free. Yes or no? So again, if a culture doesn't believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God, if a culture has no consciousness of sin, if a culture doesn't believe in punishment for sin after, de uh, for sin after death in hell, and then the lake of fire. See, there's a lake of fire. There's a hell. There is a death. It's really odd to me that we have so many churches of, in America that you don't hear a lot about hell and the lake of fire I mean, let's get real. I like to be real about stuff. 100 years from right now, you're not going to be thinking about the latest uh, gadget 
And you're not going to be thinking about the latest craze in our culture and the most popular tunes and songs and the, and the uh, fashions that everybody tout as being just on the edge. No, no. A hundred years from now, you're going to be at your reward. You're either going to be in the glories of heaven enjoying the bliss of the presence of God or you will be in the lake of fire that you cannot escape from and it's not just one or two days or three months. It's for eternity. Boy, those are, those are sticky subjects, but they're truth. Hebrews 9, 27, just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment. Revelation 21, verse 8, but cowards unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars. Their fate is in, uh, New Living Translation says, the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. I don't know about you, but there's nothing in me that wants to be there. Revelation 20:15. anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, you want to think deeply about that. How many people do you know that never darken the doors of a church, never open a Bible, never speak the name of God, much less His Son, the Lord Jesus, never pray, only think about the here and now, and are not concerned about their future, uh, they're not concerned about next year, much less 10 years from now. How many hear me? You should be praying. What are you doing? Question, what are you doing to pray for the people that you, do, that you know that are not going to heaven because you've never heard them say the name Jesus and they, ne- they do not have the evidences of salvation in your life. How many know there are evidences of salvation? If you know God, you're going to live for Him, yes or no? If you're saved, your lifestyle changes. If you nod your head to God and the Lord Jesus, but your lifestyle never changes, it's head, head mental ascent, it's head salvation, not heart salvation. Yes or no? So these are really, really deep subjects. And, you know, pray for the people. We've got uh, about 2,000 names that you have submitted to us that we're praying over when we have our prayer meetings uh, Monday through Thursday. And we prayed over those names multiple times. We put a dot by each name every time we pray over it. So I appreciate you doing that. But I encourage you to pray for your family members. I've got a whole list of people that most every day I pray for. I've got close family members that... Uh, They don't know the Lord, and and they know they don't know the Lord. They're not living like they know the Lord. A lot of people think, well, I know the Lord, but they're living like a dog. You can figure that out any way you want to. They're not living for God. They're still drunkards and liars and cheats and thieves and immoral people. You can't be immoral and know God. Can you mess up? Yeah, you can mess up, but you know what? When you mess up, repent, but don't live that way. Yes or no? That's our culture today. All of culture doesn't believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. If a culture has no consciousness of sin, if a culture doesn't believe in punishment for sin after death in hell and then the lake of fire, then there is little need for a Savior who died for us. See, that's where we're at today. So you wonder why people want to say happy holidays and not Merry Christmas. In fact, I just read an article yesterday. There's a college, university, there's probably a bunch of them now that they didn't want people to say Merry Christmas because it's too Christian-centric. That's their term. That's what they said. 
Well, John 3.16, it means nothing to those that don't know the Lord. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And right now in America, we are in a place where the large majority of us have laid the Bible aside, the belief systems that come from the Bible, they have completely laid them aside and they're walking in darkness and our nation is in absolute danger. And I have read... Man, I've read about, let me see, four or five articles from different authors all saying the same. Unless we make some changes, we have already lost our freedoms because the communists are in control. Now, that's a big statement. And uh, you say, why are you being political? You know what? If your spiritual life doesn't affect your political life, you ain't got much. Boy, that went over big, didn't it? Should I say that again? If your spiritual life doesn't affect your political life, you don't have much. All you have is words. All you have is a show. If you've got something, it affects everything, even the buttons you press, even the little things you fill out when you're in a voting booth. That went over big. (laughs) I want somebody to challenge me that I should never say anything about politics from the pulpit. In fact, let me so step for, I dare you. Egg me on. Did you know at the inception of this nation, pastors led their communities in what they believed and how they voted? Yes or no? We need to talk about the issues of our day. Do we not? If you keep them behind the four walls of their church and say nothing, then we're going to go to hell in it. And we don't even need a handbasket to do it. Our, na- our nation's just about there. How many hear me? So again, listen to this quote. This is from the earliest, earlier part of the century. Uh, uh, E.W. Kenyon is, I've read all of this man's books really multiple times. It changed my world when I was an 18-year-old boy. I was turned on to his books. And he was a man beyond his years. He was born in 1860. I think he died in 1947. And a wonderful man of God. And uh, he, he really taught um, and wrote beyond uh, the understanding level of the believers of his day. It was really unusual when you read his writings and he repeats himself over and over again. There's the book that I'm quoting from. That first one over there on the left, the green one, that's from the 1970s. It's copyright 1964. Again, he died in 1947. I'm not sure when this was written. Probably, I would guess, in the uh, early 19-teens or 20s, probably, and then his family published it in 1964. But uh, he, he nailed it with 2022 in, in American culture. Listen, the deity of the man of Galilee is the crux. We don't use that term. It means the most important part of Christianity. If this can be successfully challenged, then Christianity has lost its heart and it will cease to function. It will become a dead religion. Wow. There is no denial that the challenge of his deity has already had its reactionary effect upon society. If Jesus is not deity, he is not Lord. If he is not Lord, he cannot interfere with our moral activities. Oh, so that's what's wrong. Jesus isn't Lord. If he doesn't affect what we do with our bodies, he's not Lord. Right? Hmm. If he's not Lord, then the laws that have been founded upon his teaching have lost their force. Now marriage 
can be entered into by a man and a man and a woman and a woman. And that's equal to a heterosexual marriage between a man and a woman. What happens? What happens in America? Do you know other nations are looking at us saying, what happened? We lost our respect for the Lord Jesus Christ and what, who he is and what he taught. The laws that have been founded upon his teaching have lost their force. The morals that surround marriage with its lofty ideals have no basis of fact that is without the Bible and without the deity of Jesus, right? If Jesus of Nazareth is not a revelation from God with divine authority, then he is but a man. And if he's but a man, all we have built around him must be destroyed. And we have built around this man our modern civilization. I read an article yesterday or the day before and they were talking about how, um, how with the coming of Jesus, in fact, it was Jonathan Kahn. I was listening to an interview by him. A man on the radio interviewed him and he wrote the book, The Gods Have, the Gods Have Returned, you know. And, and he was saying that when Jesus came 2,000 years ago, all of the belief systems that that area of the world, the Middle East and that whole area of the, of, of the world, the Western world, all that they believed come crashing down when Jesus was declared as the Son of God. And instead of that dominating those cultures, Jesus Christ began to dominate Western culture. And that now because we're removing the Bible from our schools, because we no longer believe in the deity of Jesus, then all that we have built is crumbling. And that's exactly what he said in this article over 80 years ago. Are you hearing me? He goes on to say, He has been the inspiration of young men. They have kept themselves clean and pure as they have looked upon his wonderful life and sought to win his smile. Young women in the secret of their chamber have looked upon the face of the man of Galilee and have pledged to preserve the purity of their womanhood that they might be found worthy of the love and confidence of the man who died 2,000 years ago for humanity. Children have been incited to obedience and purity by the example and teachings of this man. Businessmen have been deterred from crooked dealings by the consciousness that one day they would meet the man and give account of the deeds done in their office. Men of all walks of life have felt a strange kinship with this man who walked the shores of Galilee solitary among a multitude. To say he was but a good man's an insult. To say that he was the highest expression of deity in humanity is to throw the lie into his face. Jesus is or he is not what he said he was. We have no record of his sayings nor of his doing outside of the four gospels. And if we repudiate them, then we have but a mythical picture of the man. If we challenge one of them, we have a right to challenge all of them. Either he stands or falls on these four biographical sketches, that is Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If he's not the son of God, who is he? And then uh, E.W. Kenyon says, I want to believe he's an incarnation. I want to believe that he dealt with the sin problem. I want to believe that he died for my sins, that he rose again for my justification. I want to believe that he is seated at God's right hand today as the intercessor and mediator of the human race. I want to believe that what he said about heaven is true. My father's house has many mansions. Uh, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Skepticism, as he concludes, holds no guarantee for my future. Civilization has not only been builded around this man, but he has been builded into civilization. If you destroy his character, listen, 
If you destroy his character, his standing, his place, then civilization must disintegrate. The wave of crime and lawlessness that is sweeping over the land is but a byproduct of the modernist challenge to his integrity. Wow. You see where we are today, y'all? You see what happens when you, when you take Jesus from the center of a culture or from the center of a family or from the center of your life? You go down, and you go down fast. That's why every day of my life I acknowledge him I acknowledge his lordship. I acknowledge uh, his word. I ask forgiveness for my sins. I want to keep him center of me because if Jesus isn't center of me, I will become corrupt again. How many hear what I'm saying? And you will too. So we're have, we have real problems ahead of us. What is 2023 going to look like in the United States of America? How far do we have to fall as a, as a people group before we before we fall on our knees, repent of our sin, and acknowledge our need from God for God. How many hear me? I want to say this again. There is no politician at this point. I don't care who you like. It doesn't matter. Republican, Democrat, Independent. There is no politician that is able to save us from where we have placed ourselves today. That's the reason we're, listen, we are praying Monday through Thursday. I'm going to get off the beaten path here in a second. We're praying Monday through Thursday. There is no chance. There is zero chance. I want to emphasize again, there's zero chance that your children and your grandchildren, according to what age you are, will enjoy the lifestyle that you've had unless we have a move of God in our country, unless there's another awakening. If you think your pocket's going to always be full of money, if you think that your freedom's to think what you think, speak the way you speak, go where you want to go and do what you want to do, are always going to be here, your liberties are secure, you're wrong, my friend. Without Jesus in the center, it all crumbles down. There are people in the works, and you've heard me talk about all this. Uh, it has all kind of buzzwords and names. One big name is the World Economic Forum. Another one is the World Health Organization that is working right along with it. Did you know that they're in cahoots with each other and there are many other organizations of like mind? And their entire goal is to have no nations, that every nation drop its borders. Did you know that? That every nation comes together as one under one, one set of rules or laws and that every person, regardless of what soil you live on and what continent, Every person has the same digital currency. And that every people group, every people group worldwide, you have the same religion that doesn't proselytize itself on others. Did you know that? And they're wanting that to happen by 2030. Does that excite you or anger you? Or do you just say, whatever? If you say, whatever, you don't think very deeply. And you know what? You're going to lose your freedoms. That's the reason, my friends, the main reason we need to pray is because the people that we do life with every day without Christ, they're going to go to hell. They're going to the lake of fire. For most people, they don't even give it a second thought. Even believers say hardly anything about it these days because it's not in the, it's not in the consciousness of people. Why? Because it's not in this thing right here, the pulpits. How many hear what I said? So that's enough of that. Let's go to the positive side. Y'all stirred up yet? Why the virgin birth? 
Why is the incarnation necessary? We'll end on the positive. The word incarnate is Latin in Cairo, and it means in flesh. It means endowed with a human body to give bodily form to, to be the type or embodiment of. Incarnation, a taking on of human form. That's what Jesus did, prophesied all through the Old Testament. In fact, the first scripture right after Adam and Eve sinned, they were driven from the Garden of Eden. Uh, uh, God was speaking to the serpent who was Satan. Genesis 3.15, New Living Translation, I will cause hostility between you, speaking to Satan, and the woman. And notice, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. So people don't realize that is the first prophecy that someone was coming to set humanity free from sin. And it's hidden by the way it's said. It said, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your, between Satan's offspring. Satan's offspring is the fallen human race. That's humanity as it is without God born of two human parents. And then it says, and her offspring. You look up genealogies all throughout Old Testament, New Testament. The genealogy of a people group always always looks at the father's side. This time, he says, there's going to be a woman. This is what it says. Here's a woman that's going to independently bear a child without a man being involved. It calls it her offspring. How many know Jesus had no earthly father? That's the first That's the first prophecy in the Bible. Right after Adam and Eve sinned, God loved us so much he decided to make a way of escape so we wouldn't have to spend eternity in the lake of fire. Is that good news? And then often quoted and sung about in Christmas time, Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. This is written 2,500 years ago, 700 years before Jesus was born or so. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. Ah, what? The virgin shall conceive. And bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, that is God with us. Isaiah 9 verse 6, for unto us a child is born. Speaking of the humanity of Jesus Christ, unto us a son is given. Speaking of the deity of the Lord Jesus, the son came from the father, come, came from heaven and indwelt a human body. The government, and then it, and then it, it, it skips thousands of years. It says the government shall be upon his shoulder. That's the millennial reign of Jesus. When he reigns until all of his enemies are put under his feet. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's hidden in this one, Isaiah 53, 2. It's also pretty much hidden here. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot. And then the phrase, like a root in dry ground. A plant doesn't grow in dry ground. When it said it that way, it's speaking to a person about a person who has a supernatural origin. It's not normal for a plant to grow without water. But Jesus was born without an earthly father. That's what it's pointing towards. There's nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. Again, he was made, he was God in human form. And then Micah chapter 5, verse 2, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. That's Jesus the Christ. And then notice this, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. So that points right at Jesus the Christ. 
the person born of a virgin. Why is the incarnation? Why is it the greatest gift God could ever give to a human? Why, 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 why the incarnation? Why, why to be saved must you believe in the incarnation? This is important. It's be, simply because of this. Number one, and it's not in the notes. Number one, it's not because ju- just that God loves us. The whole world knows that God loves us. And people tout the love of God. But what people don't realize is that along with God's love, God is also holy. In fact, Psalm 89, 14, justice and judgment are the foundation of your throne, the Bible says. Justice and judgment comes from God's righteous holiness. God is holy. The word holy means set apart. It means pristine. It means pure. Really, the simplest form of that word, both Old and New Testament, it means to be set completely apart, to be hallowed. And that's God. He's nothing like us. We're a sinful, fallen human race with wicked hearts. There is no way just because of God's love that we can enter heaven. Let me say that again. There is no way just because God loves you that you're going to heaven. God's love doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Did you know there are people that will spend eternity in hell? That God may look down from his throne in the northern side of heaven, in the sides of the north, and look down upon the flames and see the cries and hear, see the tears and see the lashing teeth and the, and the nasty words. He'll look down and he loves those people, but he can do nothing for them because of the choices they made before they left their physical body. See, the love of God doesn't mean you're going to heaven. God loves you in your sin. God loves people who are reprobate. God loves people who are, who are lying and cheating and stealing and having all kinds of immoral sex. How many know God loves those people? Doesn't mean they're going to heaven. The only reason that we go to heaven is because of sacrifice. Somebody has to legitimately pay the price for our sin. You know, we have, we, uh, we have laws that adjudicate human behavior today. And we have a, a system of laws, or we've had a system of laws. Now we've got a two-tiered justice system. There are some people who get away with their crimes. There are others that pay dearly for their crimes. Everybody should have the same justice system. Yes or no? Talk about that a long time. But you see, we have a justice system because we know what is just and fair. And if we allow, allow those who choose to treat others unjustly in whatever way, if we allow them to roam uh, the streets indiscriminately, they'll demoralize the entire population and none of us will be safe. Is that true? And of course, that's what you're seeing today with, uh, with, the, lawless, with the lawlessness with which judges, attorneys, and those in the legal profession and those that should be upholding the laws, they're choosing not to in many cases. Is that true? Is it a problem? So you've got to understand laws are based on the laws of God. And the laws of God are based on His holiness and His purity. So you just don't go to heaven because God loves you. How many get it? So no person. So here's the deal. A man got us into sin. And so for God to adjudicate our sin, a man's got to get us out of sin. God can't just forgive our sins because He loved us. If He could forgive our sins just because he loved us, then Satan would have a right to wave his bony, ugly, nasty finger in God's face and say, you forgave them, then you must forgive me. 
I chose to rebel against you and take a third of the angels out of heaven. You got to forgive me because you chose, you chose to forgive the human race and they're just as bad as me because they followed me. If you forgive them, you got to forgive me. So God had to devise a plan whereby our sins could be legally paid for. How many hear what I'm saying? Somebody has to pay the price for our sins. The issue is if, I, if somebody doesn't, I have to pay for them myself. And that means incarceration in hell. And, and, and then there's a final penalty given and I go to the lake of fire. But see, that's why Jesus came. And that's what Jesus did. No person born of two human parents qualifies to conquer sin, Satan, and the curse problems we face. We all, because we're all born as a sinner. Every human being with a belly button. Every human being with two, I should rather say, every human being with a mom and a dad. They don't qualify to be a sin conqueror. Ten things that Jesus Christ, only he can do. He's the God made flesh man. Here's ten things. That person that redeems us, number one, and this, this is why we sing the things, uh, the, the songs of Christmas and we enjoy Christmas and this is why we celebrate Jesus' birth. The, the person that redeems us, number one, has to be born in fellowship with God. See, no human being with a mom and a dad can, can be born in fellowship with God. He's got his own sin problems to deal with. Jesus was born as the sinless son of God because he had no father. Number two has to be born from free from Satan's rule because Jesus wasn't sinful. Satan had no jurisdiction over his life. That's good news. Number three has to be, uh, be without sin himself. It goes along with number one. He's born in fellowship with God. That means he has no sin himself. Number four, he has to have only one human parent. Two human parents doesn't cut it. Every human born since Adam's sin is born in sin. That's why Jesus is called the second Adam, the last Adam. That's why we, we have to believe that if we're saved, it has to be through a virgin birth because only Jesus was worthy enough to bear our sin and pay our penalty because he had no sins of his own. Does that make sense? Number five, have be immortal. That means not subject to death. Jesus, as he walked the earth, he was not subject to death. He said of him, he said himself, I, I lay my life down when I want to. I'm saying my words, not his. I take up my life, I lay my life down. They took him to the brow of the hill. They tried, they wanted to kill him. He walked right through them because it was not yet his time. Jesus couldn't die until he was made to be our sin. The Bible says the soul that sins will die. Jesus Christ never sinned as a human being. He was sinless, therefore he was immortal. Number six, this person must be able to legally pay for our sins. Since Jesus didn't have any sin of his own, he could actually become as a human being the sin sacrifice for the entire world. All eight billion people who live, currently live on this planet and all of those that have lived in yesteryear, Jesus became the sacrifice for their sin. I like to say it this way. Every thought, every word, every action, every motive of every human being of all ages, of all times, from the time Adam sinned until the last person is born, Jesus Christ became their sin substitute. Is that good news? 
Jesus must, number six, be able to legally pay for our sin. Number seven, he must conquer death and give us an ability to defeat our, to defeat our enemy. Jesus said in Revelation 1.18, I am he who lives and was dead and I'm alive forevermore. When Jesus made those statements, he had, he had conquered death. He had risen from the dead. His physical body got up out of the grave. Jesus conquered death. He gives us hope that though we die, we can live again. Is that good news? You realize what it would be like for Jesus not to ever had come? To have no thought of the afterlife or what it would be like? No hope? No hope? And without God in your future? In fact, the Apostle Paul, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, we are not as others which have no hope. And it was said on the tombstones in the first century, they would often place an epitaph on the tombstone, no hope. Thank God for Jesus. He conquered death, gave us an ability to defeat our enemy. Number eight, he must make immortality available to us at the rapture of the church in a moment at the blinking of an eye when Jesus comes back to catch us away. Those who have died in Christ, the Bible says their bodies will come out of the graves and become a brand new body like Jesus had when he was raised from the dead. Yes or no? Why do Christians, did you know that tombs and, and those kinds of things and, and big graveyards, you know, it's really part of, the, of Christendom. Did you know that? Do you know we preserve and in the past, it's a long story, and I'm not going there today. We have preserved the, the remains of the deceased because we believe in the resurrection of the dead. Yes or no? I got a lot. I can't even go there. Number nine, remove, this person must remove the curse from the earth. You know, when Jesus comes and, and, and finishes his 1,000-year reign in the new heavens and new earth, the curse is removed. Is that good news? Number 10, must completely restore man to his pre-fall condition. Is that good news? See, what does the new birth do? It gives us, it brings back to us everything that the sinfulness of the first man, Adam and Eve, has taken away from us. How many hear me? Because Jesus was God, he was able to pay our sin penalty. He took our spiritual death. He took our separation from God. He defeated Satan, our enemy, and actually gave us authority over him so that in his name, he must bow and he must leave and he must stop. He made provision for us to get a glorified body again at the rapture of the church, and it will replace our current death doom body. Isn't it exciting to think that one day your body's going to be renewed and revitalized and you live in it for eternity. Is that good news? That his second coming, Jesus will cause Satan, the fallen angels, the demon spirits, and all human personalities that have obeyed him and have been selfish and conniving. They all will be cast into the lake of fire. The earth will become a pristine paradise once again. Revelation 21 and 22 reveal there's going to be a new heaven and new earth where indwells righteousness, where the glory of God lights it up and there's nothing there that is defiled or, can, or, or is wrong. It's a pure, pristine place where joy and pleasures forevermore exist. How many are excited about going there? That's what the virgin birth gives us. What I just shared with you, these are things that are very real to me. Are these things real to you? Is this in your mindset? Is your belief system about your life 
your present and your future? Does does it revolve around Jesus being deity, Jesus being the virgin-born Son of God, Jesus redeeming you from sin, Jesus giving you hope for, for for a future? Yes or no? 